this episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm so grateful you joined us today to listen in on another conversation. My guest for this episode is a woman who is an award-winning preacher, spoken word artist, female theologian, spiritual director, preaching coach, and author, Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis. Kendall spent eight years as a senior pastor at a Baptist church in Texas, where among so many other things, she left a legacy of fighting for LGBTQ inclusion in the church before leaving Institutional Church to start her own business, where she helps individuals heal from religious trauma and reimagine their spirituality. Kendall's the author of two books, Thy Queen Then Come and Preacher Breath. She's also the co-founder and executive director of Nevertheless She Preached, a national preaching conference designed to elevate the voices of women on the margins. And in this episode, we talk a lot more about the conference because it's coming up this September and we hope you can attend. In this episode, Kendall also shares her story of recovering from Southern evangelicalism, then her journey as a female pastor, and finally we dive into her book, Thy Queendom Come, where we talk about the Bible and faith deconstruction. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in for this soul-deepening conversation with my guest, Kendall Ray Rothis. Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I think we'll get started if you're good with that. Yeah, I am. Thanks. Okay. Well, I'm just super thrilled to have you here. And I know today or this week was the like year anniversary of your book, Thy Queendom Come. It was. Yes. So congratulations on that. And we'll talk a little bit about your book your story, just all the things. But before we dive into that, can you just introduce yourself a little bit, like where you live in the world, who you live with, what do you do day to day, all of those things? Yeah, sure. So I, I live in Waco, Texas, and I live with two four-year-olds. So I am, I'm an adoptive mom. Um, I did that. I chose to do that as a single mom. My girls are they're They're both four, but they're actually three months apart in age. So I kind of have non-biological twins, essentially. <laughs> they just started pre-K yesterday. And so it's me and the two of them. And I am a, well, I'm a former pastor. I spent the first eight years of my career as a Baptist pastor. And then for the last a little more than three years or so, I've been um, working in private practice as a spiritual director, sort of with an emphasis on helping people heal from spiritual and religious trauma turns out to be a lot of people. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I also run a nonprofit called Nevertheless She Preached. um, And we have our annual conference coming up in one month, actually. Yeah. Oh, I know. And we're going to talk a lot more about that later in our conversation because I'm super excited for my listeners to hear about that and learn about it. And hear how they can, they can attend and learn from some just incredible women. Okay. So going back real quick to your fostering and adoptive and being a single mom, 
I was thinking this morning that could be a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> I hate that yeah. we're not probably going to dive into that part of your story. Yeah, That is so much too mm-hmm. to, to talk about and dive into. I We've actually has fostered, we fostered two little girls. And oh. I, I know that journey and how hard it is. And one, we thought we were going to adopt and didn't. So it's just... Yeah. In your book, when you talked about like people say, Oh, I could never do that. It's like, don't have any different like feelings than you right. do. <laughs> yeah. Not better equipped to handle pain. Like it's, it's hard as hell to foster and then be a single mom as I can imagine. So I just want to preface with, I admire you so much for that. And I know how hard it is. And also, we're probably not going to dive deep into that part of your story, but I just want to acknowledge that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's very, you know, significant part of my life. Very hard, very rewarding, you know, all of that. And four, I just can't imagine though, they are probably just like, can be the best friends, but probably the best enemies sometimes too, but just the best little playmates and siblings for each other. Yes. Yeah. They go back and forth between that best friend, best enemy, like you know, every, <laughs> every 10 seconds. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Can imagine. So let's go way back. Kendall, as far as you want to go, I, a lot of times have my guests just start with their own origin story. Cause I think mm-hmm. that a lot of times helps define their purpose or maybe brings them to where they're at today. So as far back as you want to go, if you want to go with a little bit of your childhood, your parents, your upbringing, wherever you want to start with that. I was raised in Southern Baptist in a in Oklahoma in a very evangelical conservative setting. Um, I was homeschooled. So I would say I, I really grew up in a pretty isolated little bubble so much so that, I mean, I went, I went to college at a small Nazarene university, really just a few miles down the road. And that was this sort of culture shock, you know, for me. So, um, I grew up very, very sheltered and there were a lot of ideas about what women could and couldn't do. Um, so that definitely shaped, shaped who I became. Yeah. I feel I almost started tearing up because I feel like when you were speaking like, Oh, that's my daughter's story. Raised in Oklahoma, uh, homeschooled my 19 year old mm. All of the things. And she's 19 now, but it's like, that was her life too. And I see, uh, I mean, just knowing what I know of your story and how coming out of that's really hard and it can do a yeah. lot, a lot of damage to your soul and being, especially as a woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. So raised in that very tight evangelical conservative. When did your eyes start opening more to like, Oh, I don't know if this is all true or if not, not necessarily true, but just realizing like the harm and the oppression and that that was for you. Yeah. I mean, it started in college, but then it's yeah. been like, you know, a decade long deconstruction, reconstruction sort of yes. thing. But, um, you know, I mean, in college, I, I remember being a freshman in my first theology class and being presented with the idea that maybe actually men and women were created equal. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I argued with the professor, <laughs> you know, and, and so it, it was such an interesting thing. And then I was, I, I went as a Baptist to this Nazarene college and I majored in theology and ministry. So I'm in all these theology classes and I'm the, I'm the sole Baptist in the room. And people made a lot of assumptions about what 
that meant for me to be Baptist, but I was sort of everyone's favorite person to debate <laughs> because it was like, oh, well, you're like the different, uh-huh. you know, come from a different belief system. And and there was um, a lot of assumption there that if you were Baptist, you were also Calvinist, which isn't actually true. But everyone wanted to debate me about Calvinism. And I was like, oh, what, I, what does Calvinism? <laughs> you know? yeah. So I'm like spending all these hours in the library trying to figure out how to defend this thing I supposedly believe. <laughs> and so it was just this massive experience, like mind opening experience that, I mean, until, until I got to college to me, Christianity was just this tiny little narrow. This is what everybody believes. This is how it, how everybody thinks about it. And I started getting exposed to different ways of understanding or interpreting the Bible and learning about church history and the rich tradition of, you know, Christianity Mm -hmm. and all the different, you know, arms and legs that Christianity has had and realizing that, or if you want to think of it as a tree, Christianity is a tree. Like I've only been exposed to this one little stem, you know, (laughs) but there are all of these branches. And then if you want to go really deep with those roots of like the goddess culture, that you bring exactly. up your book yeah. too, which yes, we can dive into that a little bit later, but yes, there is so much more than that little, little stem that we are exposed to in our youth. Yes. So I'm curious. So how did you get yourself to seminary being told and brought up that a woman can't be pastors? I'm assuming that's what you, the message that you heard growing up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So how did you think, Oh, I can still go to seminary and be a pastor. Like that had to be a shift right there um, in breaking from that original theology. Yeah, I think that's that's where it all started for me. And then I continue, I have continued to do more deconstruction of all sorts of other things, but it started with the women in ministry, you know, issue. Okay. Um, and same, it, what you know, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it was, you know, all through college here I am studying theology and, you know, my mom, I remember asked me, well, you know, what are you planning to do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, like, are you going to be a missionary? And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. think so. Uh-huh. And she asked me if I was going to be a counselor. And I was like, uh, no. And she was like, well, what else is there? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, you know, I, I just sort of felt this pull or this tug. And so I kept, I just kept going. And um, there was this turning point for me in a, when I took my first preaching class. I loved the work of preaching, but the thing that really affected me was, was there these two other women that were in the class it was mostly men and then myself and then two women, two other women, and they got up to preach their sermons for class. And I was, I was like, Oh, <laughs> like, they were so clearly gifted at that. And it was like, well, that would be tragic. Right. If they couldn't use their voices and suddenly it took this whole, this whole debate outside of just myself. And I I kind Mm -hmm. of saw it on display and, and then there was sort of no turning back for me after that point. So then I, I was like, okay, yeah, like I, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel called to do and started moving in that direction. And went to seminary and confused yeah. my parents. And <laughs> were your parents okay with that? Were they, or were they like, oh my gosh, what is she's going down that slippery slope or were they supportive or how did that work for you? Yeah, they, um, my mom used to tell people that I was um, going to be a professor, even though, you know, I had never said that was what I wanted to do. But I, I think she was trying to make sense of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where, what's an occupation 
an appropriate occupation that you can take this theological study to. Because it's okay for women to be a professor or teach college kids, all that, but just not in a church. Yeah. As a pastor. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. I want to come back a little bit to the, to seminary because you share in your book, like queen didn't come you know, a little of what you experienced there, but I'm also curious with that part of your story. Now you realize, okay, I can be a pastor preacher. Mm-hmm. You also identify as a queer woman. Were you wrestling mm-hmm. with that at that time too? Because obviously you're, if you're raised in a fundamental Baptist, mm-hmm. your culture home, you're not, that's not even allowed a space to think about. So yeah. how is that playing out in your story? Yeah, I would, I did not even become aware of my identity as a queer woman until like it was either in my late twenties or early thirties. So after I had graduated seminary, I was already in my first pastorate. So, I mean, I think back to that culture I grew up in, in any sense of my sexuality that might've diverged from the norm was just so repressed. I, I had no access to it. And, you know, I, I, when you talk to people in the LGBTQ community, uh, I'm thinking, especially of, of folks who identify as gay, there's often this sense for people who come out later in life that they will kind of reflect back on their childhood and be like, Oh, you know, there was that best friend, but actually that was a crush I had, you know, and I don't even really, that doesn't even resonate with me. Like it just feels so, I didn't really have crushes on boys either, but like, it was just kind of so buried for me. Yeah. So so suppressed. I mean, I'm guessing were you raised really thick in purity culture? Yes. 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 As was my daughter, as was I. And it's just like, it's not even an option that even it's so pushed down that it's not even there. Like you said, I I almost can't even date guys or think of guys sexually because we're just denying that whole part of ourselves. So yeah. 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 I mean, I remember feeling guilty for holding hands with a boy when I was like 19, you know, I mean, that's how how steeped in that purity culture was. So, um, yeah. So if I'm feeling guilt about that, like there's, there's, I'm not going to entertain any, anything more. So for me that really the pro the, the process was I first became just affirming as a person, like an ally. And in fact, did a lot of work in that area before I ever really was like, Oh, this also applies to me. <laughs> so I was working through my theology on that near the end of seminary after I graduated, but I still thought I was sort of working through it on behalf of other people. And I had a heart and and then realized like, oh, I actually belong to this group right. of people. Yeah. Right. Our slippery slope sounds like a similar story of like the, the women in ministry. And then that mm-hmm. led to the LGBTQ. Like, what do I yeah, think about yeah. that? And I know that was a turning point for me too. Like, I think I mentioned, and then you give her credit in your book, Emmy Ke- Pastor Emmy Kegler was a big mm-hmm. part of my, wait a second, what, what what have I been told here and what is actually true when yeah. real? But you were married. Is that correct? Yes, I was. Okay. Yeah. Initially I was married to a man um, yes. and that... And that ended um, actually bef- like before my awareness of my own sexuality. It was okay. just a, um, an abusive relationship that I, you know, in some ways, I also think that purity culture sort of set me up for that in a way too, you know, because it didn't teach me about how to have healthy boundaries or to expect respect. And so I just sort of got 
sucked into this sense of like, oh, well, I've, I've dated this guy and, and we've kissed and that sort of thing. So we're, you know, just sort of that almost like you have to get married and then you have to stay married. But absolutely does. I mean, just talking with my own therapist this week, she talked about like you were, you were groomed for this as a woman mm-hmm. raised in the church. You're groomed under like rape culture, patriarchy, yes. purity, all of that. And then yeah why wouldn't a marriage most likely match that as far as like, you know, that submissive wife role and just being the helper and all of those things. And so it's like, I think that's why so many women, I don't think I know so many women like find themselves in a similar story of, and their eyes opening and realizing what they were groomed for. So you found yourself in that situation. You touch on it in your book, but you, it was a very, it was an abusive relationship. Yes, it was. And, and, you know, and I want to say too, about the grooming piece of it, like by the time I got married, I actually believed intellectually, cognitively in egalitarianism, you know, equal partnership. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that I I was still, even though I thought that with my brain, so to speak, like my body was still living out that narrative, yeah. you yeah. know? Um, so it's interesting that it's not just about changing our minds, you know? Mm-hmm. It's about getting those new truths down into our bodies so that we can embody them and live them out in our relationships and be empowered to use our voices. Like that's a whole... That's more complicated so, process. Yeah. You just gave me chills with that because I think that's so true as women, like our minds and being in this whole faith journey and evolving, mm-hmm. our minds can get it. But if you think back to the layers of our ancestors, I mean, my gosh, our moms mm-hmm. and our grandmas and starting with Eve, it's like, we have these layers embedded in our bodies of what women should be and their roles and how they're looked at and shamed and not believed in all of these things. Yeah. So it's a long process coming coming out of it. And I mean, I sure like you, it's like for my own daughters, I'm going to keep doing it and keep working on it. And it's not easy. And, but I'm hopeful for so many of the generations ahead of women. Right. Yeah. Like if we, because if we can break the cycle and not pass it down to our daughters or not pass it down as much, (laughs) you know, um, then maybe we can get somewhere. Yeah. So that kind of leads me to the whole topic of your book, mm-hmm. I think the order, because I want to talk about nevertheless, she preached, but well, let's do that towards the end. And let's dive into a little bit of your book, Thy Queendom mm-hmm. Come, because that is a whole, it's almost kind of the whole basis of it. So talk to us a little bit, tell me a little, I know about it because I've read it, but tell me what made you want to write it, kind of what your goal was for it. Yeah. So sort of the, I mean, the gist of the book for, for people who haven't read it, haven't read it yet. We're going to, we're just going to, we're going (laughs) to, everyone's going to go out and buy it now. I do recommend it. Like it, and I, I, I'll tell you a little more in this conversation, especially the end really spoke to me a lot, but okay. Yeah. The gist of it is sort of reimagining this notion of the kingdom of God from a feminist perspective. And really, I mean, when I wrote the book, part of my motivation was I had spent my career as a pastor preaching all these biblical texts from a feminist perspective, like taking these stories and thinking about like, who's missing in the story? Whose voice have we not heard? What have we not seen? You know, who's being oppressed and spent my whole career preaching those sermons and, and really becoming quite connected to some of the characters in the Bible. Ones that we maybe wouldn't even normally 
look to, or, you know, I kind of have this like weird interest in the dark stories. Oh, I love it. Um, I love in the, I love the stories that you shared because they're yeah. the ones, these women that are often silenced or we don't hear much about. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had gotten to spend a career, you know, sharing that with my congregations, but I really wanted to kind of do something a little more lasting with it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a combination of those, my relationship with those biblical stories. And then also my own story of slowly coming out of those patriarchal bonds Mm -hmm. and finding freedom and finding liberation and hopefully giving, I think my, my aim there is giving people permission to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because so many of, I think I just talk to people all the time, especially women, but not just women who feel that same tension with faith and with the scriptures and just having words and language and seeing that someone else has wrestled with these, you know, we just need to give each other permission. We absolutely do. And that's what I I go back to what I said, like the end of your book just really spoke to me because I felt like you did that so much. Me, myself been wrestling, looking at the Bible the last three years and I guess all along until this past year, I thought, no, I have to reconstruct Christianity that I believe. And then it's mm-hmm. like, but now I've been like, well, that's not actually the main goal here. Mm-hmm. And you say, I'm going to read a little bit at the end of yours. You say, whether reading the Bible with honest eyes reinvigorates your faith or prompts you to look elsewhere for spiritual belonging, the process is working because the point isn't whether you go or remain inside the confines of a particular religion. It's whether you come alive. I believe holding on to a particular version of faith is far less important than keeping your integrity intact. Patriarchy kills plain and simple. Your calling is to resurrect, to save your soul, to explore and to become. Whether you stay or leave or leave then return, it's not really my concern. As long as you're becoming freer, fuller, braver, truthier, more alive, more awake, more fundamentally who you are. Mm. Yes. 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 And I think that's what needs to be told and reinforced to so many who are deconstructing right now. Like there's not one way it's not like a finish and end. It's not like, Oh, just come back to Christianity, which Mm -hmm. is fine if you do or stay in it, whatever, but it is becoming more of who you are, who you were made to be being more free, all of those things. So thank you for that. And that reminder, because I think it was really powerful. So going back to your title, queendom. Can you define that a little bit? Because I think some people, when they see feminist or queendom, they think, oh, we just want this women, women in charge. And, and it's, so it's not even like a matriarchy. I mean, it is more, you explain it. I'll let you do it. You'll do it better than me. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the title is both helpful and potentially misleading, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Because the, the sort of argument I make in the book is that because male language for God has been used so exclusively throughout our Christian history, it's not really enough to just say, okay, we're going to remember now that God is beyond gender and use non-binary language for God, which is, is fine. And I, I advocate for that and think we should do that. And I think that there is something so powerful about feminine language for God, Mm -hmm. like hearing the word queendom or using a she pronoun for God. It's so contradictory to toxic masculinity. It's, it's so contradictory to some of those patriarchal notions that it, it forces you to stop and think and be like, wait, what, you know? And so we need, I think we need a word with some shock value, honestly, to kind of shake us loose. But the point 
is not to say that God is a woman or the point is not to say that women should be in charge of men because then you're just replacing one hierarchical structure with another one. Right. You know, the point is like, let's blow up this whole concept of right. a God who is fits inside this tiny little box. Let's blow up the concept that anyone needs to have power over someone else in order for society to run well. Um, so it's about expanding the imagination. So the queendom of God and what other words do you want to use? God is she and God is they, and, you know, to keep, to keep expanding our notions. Um, So if we're, if we're just trying to replace one rigid thing with another rigid thing, then, and if that's what you get when you read the book, then I have failed you (laughs) or you have not read it. Well, one of the two. Um, That's why I wanted to clarify for listeners to might be interested in your book. Like, no, it's not about that. And why you chose that word. Exactly. And so you share even, and we exchanged some messages about that. Some of the goddess books, God was a woman and going back to very earliest times in those matriarchal culture. Do we just assume people realize that the Bible, the world didn't start with Adam and Eve? I don't know. Kindle. I have a hard time. Again, I'm probably going to edit this, but I have a hard time talking about this because I'm like, surely people are beyond that now. Right. I don't know. Well, I think, I mean, so it's a helpful way, I think, to to talk about this is, I mean, we know that Christianity is actually a relatively new religion in the history of the world. Right. Yes. So it's like, okay, so what existed before Christianity and like, were all of those people doomed to hell <laughs> or, you know, right. can we imagine a more expansive understanding of what it means to connect with the divine? And when we go back to the earliest evidence we have archeologically of people forming, worshiping communities of any kind, what we find is veneration for goddesses yes. and veneration for, for ancestors and, and, you know, what I talk about in my book is that that earliest sense of there's something bigger than us. I, we want to pay veneration to it. There was this sense of your ancestry. But if you go back far enough in history, people didn't really understand procreation yet and didn't really know that men had much to do with it. So you traced your lineage through mothers, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the daughter of so-and-so who's the daughter of so-and-so, you know, and you're tracing your mother to your grandmother, to your great grandmother. So if, if you're trying to trace back to a primal original ancestor of course, she's going to be a woman. That's right. And if you're trying to imagine who gave birth to the world, who created the world, you're going to imagine somebody with the uterus. So, you know, you're, right. and so it, it makes sense that our earliest kind of inclinations as human beings was to, to venerate this sort of feminine presence. And then what happened historically is not that we just had this natural shift to then, okay, let's venerate the masculine, but the forces of patriarchy violently and aggressively started stamping that out, you know, building churches on top of ancient goddess sites, you know, burning witches, smashing, you know, goddess figurines, 
punishing people who continue to venerate the goddess. And so it's just interesting to look at that historical arc and see that, okay, our our first instinct was to view the divine as at least incorporating the feminine, if not sort of mostly feminine. Mm -hmm. And then that was beat out of our consciousness. You put that so well, like so well. I'm just sitting back and I'm like, yes, that ex- she, you explained it so well. And it's, I'm curious how, and I didn't know our conversation was going to go this way, but here's something I've wrestled with knowing all of that, reading all these books about early goddess cultures and matriarchy and women were revered and women's bodies were revered, you know, the uterus and all of that. How do you still love the Bible, the old Testament, especially because I feel like the Hebrews were kind of like colonizers and establishing the patriarchy and responsible for knocking all that down, you know, and we're taught to think, Oh, the Hebrews, they were the, and the Israelites were enslaved, but it's like, they did a lot of not so great things and really knocked down those goddess cultures. So how do you still love that? And yeah. Yeah. So first of all, you're right. And I, I, I don't think we serve ourselves by trying to deny that, (laughs) you know, I mean, like uh, the book of Joshua, you know, like they're, they're coming in as conquerors and they're Mm -hmm. like, this is not good (laughs) for me. I tend to look at the Bible as a collection of stories about a particular people in a particular time in history Mm -hmm. and their quest to know, understand and follow God. Mm-hmm. And it's their story. And like any story, it's flawed. Right. And so there are times where they get it beautifully right. And there are times when they get it tragically wrong. And then there's a lot of messy stuff that's somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. of, that, mm-hmm. of that spectrum. And so I I tend to look at the Bible as more of a of a sacred document that tells a story. Yeah. Um, but I'm not expected to like check my brain at the door and just accept all these stories as, well, this is the way God wanted it to happen. Right. It's, right. it's what happened or, or, or it's how people chose to tell that story. Right. We, we know that history is often told through the eyes of the winners. <laughs> and so even the stories that are given to us were told through a particular lens. And so when I read the Bible, I'm always looking to see, like, you know, when I'm writing in the book about Jephthah's daughter or the concubine who's um, raped and then her body's torn into pieces, it's like, okay, there's something about the fact that this story has stayed yeah. for this long. And so I want to interrogate it. I want to hold it up and look at it from this light and from this light, I want to ask like, what was she feeling? What was she thinking? Like we're getting this narration from a man's perspective. So there's value in sort of excavating those stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there is no group of people who got God all the way. Right. Right. So what did the, what did this group of people understand? What did they misunderstand? And something has given this particular story staying power for centuries. And so that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, So I kind of like the digging, but not because I think I have to accept everything that's there. Does that totally make sense? And I love it. And that's where I'm also at on my own journey. And that's why 
I love how your book tied together. You bring up these stories and the Bible, but then you go into at the end, like, okay, but here's what was before. Mm-hmm. So you're not totally discounting the Bible, but you're also not saying this is the absolute and only truth. And you're also yeah. acknowledging a lot of the awfulness. And I think that's what so many conservative Christians do ignore like, well, the old Testament, all the rapes and the cutting up bodies and all that. We're just going to ignore that. And we're going to focus on the LGBTQ community and all of this. So I know you go into a lot, as we mentioned, some of the untold women's stories in the old Testament and some really horrific ones, like they're the the way women are treated in the Bible, Mm -hmm. raped and silenced and all of these things. It's, it's really heavy. So tell me what story, is there one in particular or one woman in particular that you, that speaks to you the most, or you identify with the most that you share in the book? Interestingly, I would say the story that keeps that keeps coming back for me or or that I have returned to again and again is Jephthah's daughter from Judges uh, chapter 11, which is uh, the story of, you know, Jephthah basically sacrifices his daughter. Mm-hmm. So it's a horrible story. It's, yeah. it's not a positive story. Um, there are to me, there are so many interesting elements about that story. Um you know, it's it's reminiscent of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And yet in that story, there's this ram that's provided. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Abraham is stopped in his tracks. And so it's like, well, then was there a ram for Jephthah's daughter? And did he walk right by it? You know, there it just it it, it brings up so many questions for it's just such a an illustration of the patriarchy at work to me. Mm -hmm. Like here's this guy, God never tells him to sacrifice his daughter. He just decides he needs to do that in gratitude or whatever. Like, but nowhere in the text is it, is this God's idea? And then he just has this, I've got to do this and kind of this stubborn, like I've got to do it because, because it's my religious duty. And how many times has the church perpetuated that same kind of ideology of like, no, we've just got to go forward no matter who it harms, because this is our religious God-given duty that didn't actually come from God. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I just think there's so much in that story. um, I could go on about it for a long time. And so that's why, you know, even these stories that are dark, I think they're worth mining because they have so much relevance to what we're facing today. No, they're absolutely worth mining. And that's why I I love books just exactly like yours that are doing that. They're not what we, the stories that we grew up hearing in this pretty picture Mm -hmm. painted of and everything is just perfect and move on. Um, No, you dive deeper and like talking about Mary Magdalene. I mean, there's so much there. We don't, we don't have time to go into all that. I just really do encourage my listeners to get your book and we'll put links to all of that. Another question I wanted to ask you that you say in your book, because like you said, it is a parallel almost between some of your story and women of the Bible. One of the chapters you talk about, you say, I know myself, I know I evolve. And I know that someday I'll look back things that I'll have written today will no longer, I'll no longer entirely agree with myself. I will have changed my mind. I will have grown. So what do you feel like that is for you right now? Is there anything you can identify even maybe in the last year, you know, you wrote your book a year ago. Is there anything, an area that you have evolved and grown and changed with in this last year? 
I mean, definitely. Um, and I think it is, it's interesting to write, it's interesting to write a book, right? Like you're putting, <laughs> you're putting your thoughts out there for the world uh-huh. and then you're like, oh gosh. Um, and they're in, and they're like on hard paper. I know. I, know. Like, I didn't say that, did I? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, I mean, really I wrote because, you know, you write the book and then it goes through a whole editing process right. and then it comes out. So I was really writing it the big, at the very beginning of the pandemic. So like early mid 2020, I think, you know, if I, I were rewriting it today. I think I might be even, it's already a very permission giving, like this is not an argument for you to stay Christian or to read the Bible. But I think I might be even a little more explicit about that. Mm-hmm. I think I would incorporate a little more, I would dive a little more deeply into to offering the voices of some womanist scholars. That's present a little bit, but just not as, I, I think mm-hmm. me today, I would be a little more rooted in that and some other women of color that I am learning from. And I think I would, I don't know, I might explore my journey into queerness a little more too. But you know, there's, there are more books to come. So I didn't have to get it all. I didn't have to get it all in one book. But well, yeah. that's why I asked you about talking about uh, your queerness. Yeah. Cause you don't share a lot of that in the book, but it's like, I think it's baby steps of even accepting our own story and becoming yeah. more aware of our own truths and discovering ourselves. So yeah. But that's one of the things that you talk about what the queendom is. It's not like this very rigid, like, here's how it is not changing. It is an ever expanding, ever changing. um, And that's allowed. You have permission for that. Yeah. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about never the less she preached. So as you mentioned, you were a preacher pastor for several years. You've stepped out of that. While Was it while you were in seminary, you had this vi- this vision to start creating never the less she preached? No, that happened. It happened a little bit on accident. Um, okay. Talk about that. Share a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was pastoring. So we started never the less started in 2017. So I think, you know, we're on the heels of Trump being elected. We've had the first women's march. Elizabeth Warren's nevertheless, she persisted is kind of that phrase is going everywhere. And my colleague, um, Natalie Webb and I, we, we were feeling frustrated really by a lack of female representation in our denomination and in our seminary. And we had spent years at this point sort of politely asking our seminary to um, host more women in chapel, have more women on the lineup when they had preaching conferences, that sort of thing. And just being kind of hearing like, oh, oh, right. You're, yeah, you're right. You're right. We're going to, we're going to pay more attention to that. And then they're not really being a shift or a change. And so deciding like, okay, maybe we don't keep waiting for institutional change. Maybe we just do our own thing. So we, we kind of had this crazy idea. There were, there were several things that kind of led up to it, but we had this idea, like, let's just put together our own conference and just only feature women. We've all been to conferences and churches and where there's only men up there. So let's, let's shift that. And um, what was interesting was I th- I think we sort of saw ourselves responding to this local Texas Baptist thing. And we were, we said to ourselves, okay, if we can get, you know, maybe two or three really badass, amazing women to agree to speak, mm-hmm. we'll go, we'll go for it. And we started reaching out to women and explaining what we were doing and why. And, and we, and we said, you know, we intend to pay you, but we're starting with zero dollars. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Also, this is happening in five weeks and we don't have a venue yet. 
but would you be willing to come? I'm like getting anxious for you. It's just I know. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And women kept saying yes. So we just kept expanding the schedule until we had, I can't remember if it was eight or nine keynote speakers that first year. And our friend Heather made these t-shirts to sell so we could raise money. And they, you know, nevertheless, she preached. And, and I love them. I've ordered a couple. Yay, good. Yeah. Online. But I, I, yeah, I love them. Yeah. And the, she, I mean, she, she was so creative with it because the she, the word she is made up of the names of women who have preached throughout history. And so we started selling those and we sold $20,000 worth of t-shirts. Oh my gosh, Kendall. Wow. The first, like the first like year of the first time. Yeah. Doing this. Wow. Yeah. And people came from all over the country to attend this conference that, you know, we kind of pulled together and we realized, oh my gosh, like we struck a chord and this is, I mean, we kind of knew it, but this just made it so obvious. Like this is not just a Baptist thing, <laughs> like this is ecumenical. This is national. This is international. We have people, we have international um, people in our community now from all over women and queer folk and men who are ready to be done with patriarchy and toxic masculinity. Like people are hungry, Absolutely. you know, to come together and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I'm not, the, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's thinking this. I'm not yeah. the only one who's fighting this. And so from that point, we, you know, we started having an annual conference and we eventually became a nonprofit. Um, but when we started, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, there was no five-year business plan. You know? It's incredible what you pulled yeah. together the first yeah. year, like just unbelievable. But again, shows just the thirst that women, men have for this. So yeah. you're in, what is this? Will this be the fifth year then? This is the sixth conference. Okay. Sixth yeah. conference. And I'm blown away by your lineup this year. Yes. Oh my goodness. So I know like for starters, Christina Cleveland was on my podcast. Oh mm -hmm. gosh. Several months ago when her book came out, she is going to be there, which just is yeah. amazing. I'm so um, excited. Karen, yes. Oh my, I, I, I'm going to be there. I cannot wait to hear her preach. Karen Gonzalez, uh, was an early guest on a podcast. She is going to be there. Can you share some of the other keynote speakers that are going to be there? Yes. So, um, Brittany Cooper, who wrote yes. Eloquent Rage, which is a New York Times bestseller. I love that book. Mm -hmm. um, I think the subtitle is A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower. Yes. Let's see. Uh, Kenesha Billingsley, who's fantastic. She has a podcast. Um, Lenore Three Stars, Jack, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Yes. Aurelia Pratt, who is um, a dear friend of mine and a board member. And her her new book is about to be released in a few weeks. No, uh, she'll uh, be Brown my next guest. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah. She introduced us, which, yes, yeah. love, love her. And i um, super excited to hear her and to meet her in person. Cool. Interrupted you with her, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Kat Armis, you know, I haven't been, I should have been like counting on my fingers to make sure that I'm not <laughs> leaving anybody out. I probably did. Leave. Oh, Pamela Lightsey. I'm so sorry to anyone I left out. I think I went through the whole list, but it's going to be, it's going to be really great. And then Kinship Commons. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're mm -hmm. going to be the worship leaders and they're helping us think about like, how do you decolonize worship? Um, which is going to be so cool. And we'll also have this spoken word event to kick it off, which we did that for the first time in 2019. And oh my gosh, so powerful. 
So we have I, some award-winning award-winning poets that are going to be leading that. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't even wait to have all of these women in one space preaching. Like, it's just unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. So tell specifics, like where it is, dates, all of that. Do you have that written down to be able to share? And of uh, course, we'll put links to all of that. But yeah, share yes. all of that. Yeah. So um, it is September 18th through the 20th. So it starts on a Sunday night and goes through Tuesday. It's in Austin, Texas, um, hosted at a church in downtown Austin. Um, you can find more information if you go to our website, nevertheless, she preached. Dot com. And if you're local to Austin, you can even register for just one day of the conference. If you can't come to the whole thing, it's going to be really, really good. It really is. And we're going to put links to all of that. And I am just grateful for the opportunity to not only be there, but I'm going to present a workshop yes. at it. So like, I'm just beyond excited to do that. So what are some other things that people can expect that weekend? Is it a lot of like, is it sitting and listening? Is it interacting? Just maybe share that for people that are like, Oh, what, what exactly am I signing up for here? When I go besides these amazing women, which that should be enough, but I know some people want to know what to expect. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, Yeah. So the opening night, as I mentioned, is the sort of spoken word event. That night is really fun, really high energy. We'll have free appetizers and there will be these, performance poets who are fantastic. And then there'll be also a small open mic portion. So people can, um, you have to submit your, your requests in advance, but you can get added to the open mic lineup. That's just really powerful. Then Monday and Tuesday are, we open with a, with a worship service. The, that first one, um, Kenesha Billingsley is preaching and we'll close with one where Jackie Lewis is preaching. Um, and then there will be throughout the day, there are lectures, although I, yeah, we need a better word than lecture. No, um, no. They are, they tend to be a lot more interactive than that word implies. <laughs> um, but, but hearing from these nine amazing keynote speakers, yeah. which is a lot to cram into two days. But in addition to that, we'll have like, there will be some networking lunches okay. where you can kind of go meet with people around certain topics that interest okay. you. Okay. Um, there's some on Tuesday, there are some workshops where you can go like you kind of, you know, choose off the menu of workshops. And then there's an exhibit hall with a bookshop that will have all our speakers books, plus mm-hmm. like other books that every everybody's going to want. Um, and some, you know, some exhibitors and some things. So you can do some shopping and, and sort of meeting other like-minded mm-hmm. Folks. And we'll also have, um, for example, we'll have, we'll have a couple of spiritual directors on site. So if you want to book a, a free session with a spiritual director mm-hmm. while you're there to process, mm-hmm. we usually offer, you know, a yoga, we might do some sound bathing. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, there, there will be some interactive elements. I love it. I'm so, so excited, Kindles. Thank you for creating this for the women that are going to be there for inviting me there. I'm just beyond excited. So I'm going to do what we can to get a lot of listeners there. And, um, I think it's just going to be an amazing, amazing time. Speaking of time, Kendall, it looks like we're like running out here. So tell me all the places that you can be found. So we don't forget that. And we'll put links to those sort of that as well. Okay. You can find me. I have a website, kindlerayrothis.com. I'm also kindlerayrothis on Instagram and Facebook. Um, the trickiest part is just figuring out how to spell my name. And then once you got that down, you can find me in all the places. So yeah. Okay. And we'll make sure to put a link to that. And I know you mentioned it in the beginning, but I want to reiterate, you know, you've stepped out of like being a head pastor to church because you really do have a heart for just that one-on-one coaching, spiritual Mm -hmm. mentoring 
for people that have been hurt by the church or deconstructing. So that is something that you're passionate about. And so if people are interested in that, do they just reach out to you via your website? Yeah. If you go to my website, you can find out more information about my spiritual direction uh, practice. And there's like a, you know, a contact form and you can, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I just can't stop with the questions. So the deconstructing, you know, we feel like we see everybody, this is your last question. Everybody's, it's almost feels like, oh, everybody's doing this now. Do you think that's Mm. true? Or do you think we're just more aware of it? Or do you think like it has all come to a head with all the Christian nationalism? I mean, I'm just question. I've been questioning and wondering it because it does seem like, is this just the end thing? What, what's going on with all of that? What do you think? Mm. Or we all just had enough. I don't know. Our eyes are yeah. all. Open. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, well, I wish it was all. Yeah. All of them. They're not. You're right. You're there's, right. There's certainly people who are not deconstructing. I mean, I'm not a expert in this, you know, reading what social change, but it feels like there is this, I don't know, watershed moment or, mm-hmm. you know, something, it feels like something is happening and the amount of polarization in our country, if you're yeah. living in the U S and the, well, I think partly to what it is, is just how far the evangelical church has gone in recent years to protect white supremacy, mm-hmm. to protect patriarchy, to protect sexual abusers and sexual not protect the sexual assault victims is what I'm trying to say. Like all of that has just been so dramatically bad that I think a lot of folks who maybe were, we just were kind of going along and it's, it's not that that stuff is new. It's been happening, but I think there's a more overt way in which it's happening now that is forcing a lot of people to do some reckoning that maybe they didn't feel was necessary before. Yeah, I think you're exactly right with that. What would be, okay, last question, I promise. What would be, <laughs> let's, let's end with this. Yeah. If you had to give like just one bit of advice to people that are in the middle of deconstructing or reconstructing, what would it be? I think it would be um, to embrace the journey of learning to trust yourself mm-hmm. because what has happened to our souls for so long is that we have been conditioned to trust external an external locus of authority to the detriment of our own internal authority and so i just sort of find that wherever someone is on their journey or their process that's almost always at the crux of it is relearning to trust and listen to my own inner sense of wisdom And what keeps us from doing that is this fear of, Mm. you know, ascending the external authorities. (laughs) And so, you know, if you can learn to trust again yourself, that will get you where you need to go. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. We're just going to end on that. Thank you so much, Kendall. It's been so, so good to just have this hour conversation with you. And I just look forward to meeting you in person. So thank you for everything that you have been doing and are doing. Yeah. Thank you, Andrea. And I I look forward to meeting you and hearing your workshop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you soon. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed the opportunity to be able to talk with Kendall. 
I'm telling you, the lineup for the keynote speakers at the Never Let Us She Preach conference is just incredible. And if you're able to attend in person, I encourage you to make it happen. I would love to see you there and connect in person. So head on over to the show notes for this episode at herstoryspeaks.com and you can find the link to register. If you're going to be there, drop me a note and I'd love to meet up. Thanks for listening. Oh,